Well, good morning, saints. Today, as we look into God's Word, uh, we are going to uh, turn the page into uh, chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Thus far, we have seen Paul's soaring Christology, showing us the power and the glory and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is unlike anyone who has come before him. He is God's son. He is the son of man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. We are reconciled to God through his physical body, through his death, and by his blood. It is no small matter to be reconciled with God. Imagine all of your sins completely forgiven. As sinful as we each are, we stand in his holy presence because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. When we believe in Jesus, we are born again. His spirit lives in us, enabling us to live a godly life and serves as the guarantee that we will stand with Christ in glory. That's why Romans tells us that Christ is the firstborn among many brethren because he died and was raised and because we are united with Christ we will be raised as well. Now, all of those, all of us who have believed in Jesus make up God's church. Church literally means those who are called out, the gathering of the saints. People from all over the world make up the church. People with different ethnicities, cultures, Ages, professions, and so forth. What a beautiful tapestry that God is creating. Now the church of God, or the church of Christ, is made up, as I said, of people from all over the world. Saints that were bought by the blood of Jesus. Forgiven completely of all of their sins. Now, I have a question for you this morning. Considering the great and beautiful organism that we call the church and the captain of her salvation, as staggeringly glorious as he is, do you love the church? Think about it. Do you love his church? One cannot miss the fact that Paul loves deeply. He loves the church. He loves to be a part of it. He is honored to suffer for her. He, endure, he endures hardship. He suffers betrayal. For her sake. 
As we saw recently, he struggles mightily for her. And all of this is God's energy at work in him. Because guess what? God loves his church. Please turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts chapter 20. We are making our way to Colossians, I promise. Acts chapter 20. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. In this chapter, Paul is giving final instructions to the elders in Ephesus. He knows that when he leaves, savage wolves will come in and lead many people astray from the simple truth and the life of Jesus. In fact, he said they're already there. But do you see this? Do you see what Paul says? Watch over the flock. The saints who make up the church. Why? Because there is something very precious here. It attracts satanic opposition and strife. It is the church which God purchased with His own blood. So that is my question this morning. God loves his church. Paul loves the church. And almost daily laid his life down for her. Do you love the church? If you want to love what God loves, love his church. So let's look at our sermon text this morning and we'll propose three concrete ways in which Paul loved the church. And I would posit that we should do the same. The aim of our message this morning is not to browbeat anyone or to make you feel guilty about what you do or don't do or about how you feel or maybe haven't even given thoughts to. But rather it is to inspire you to love and to cherish her more deeply. For you to adore that which, for which Christ has died and to fill your heart With godly enthusiasm and great joy for what you and I are a part of by God's grace. Colossians chapter 2. We'll read the first five verses. For I want you to know how great a struggle... I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for 
all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. My friends, look at the action words. And the striking imagery that Paul uses. There are many ways that we can love his church, God's church. But here are three that I see in this text. And honestly, all of these are hard baked into Paul's letter to the Colossians in general. Remember, Paul struggled for the church he was fully engaged he was fully committed and devoted to what god had called him to he was not passive but he was very intentional three things number one god paul endeavored to see that christians were encouraged in their heart and knit together in love And isn't that what the church should be? Encouraged in our hearts and knit together one another with our own lives in love. Number two, he sought to push the disciples to fully know Christ in all his glory. And third, he sought for the Christians at Colossae to be firmly grounded in God's truth. Particularly as it pertained to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ. Now look at the warm pastorly heart of Paul in verse 2. He talks about their hearts being encouraged. And their hearts and their very lives knit together with one another in God's love. Against all the chaos in their lives, against the persecution they experience for following Jesus, and the various griefs and challenges that they all and we all face in life, he wanted them. He labored, he prayed for them, that they would be encouraged. But not just a superficial encouragement, but something that was deep in their heart. The type of encouragement that resides deeply right here. The type of encouragement that wells up from within and also seeks to encourage those Around us, griefs and trials all around us 
But deep inside, the encouragement that comes from knowing Christ and then ministering that encouragement to one another. Now, friends, when we reflect often upon Christ and when we build our lives on the sure word of God, we will find ourselves deeply encouraged. Encouraged down here. Now, how does this happen when we face trials and tribulations and grief in our life? A deep assurance by the Holy Spirit as we walk with Him that we belong to Him and that He is mine. We are reminded that we have a heavenly inheritance laid up for us in heaven. We are reminded that when we stood in need, the Lord rescued us from the domain of darkness and put us, placed us, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, Christ. We are refreshed. When we remember that he was there for us yesterday and he will be there for us today and tomorrow. We are reminded that we are united with Christ both in life and in death. We are refreshed by the truth that we are deeply loved by God himself and that love is completely unconditional. We are taught that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than our past, than our most spectacular failures, and a better word than our current challenges and circumstances. He will never let us go. As Paul said in Acts, he will bring us safely to the heavenly shores. We are encouraged as we rest in the fact that our past is forgiven and our future is entirely and completely secure. And because of that, we do not live for lesser things, but we delight In serving and in supporting one another in the Lord. In the same vein, we are knit together in love. Our very lives are intertwined one with another. That is the immediate fruit of believers gathered. We may not always get it right. And yes, we have conflicts, but there is a special, indescribable love that we have one for another. Jesus put it this way. Everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you follow me, that you're with me, if you love one another. We look around the world and we look at history 
And we see so many misguided philosophies and ideologies that try to make sense of life, that try to make this world a better place. So many philosophies that cannot correctly diagnose our problems and absolutely do not offer a path of repentance or restoration nor a solution to man's problems. I've said it many times before. One of the reasons why I love our missions trips. There is something beautiful and indescribable when we can gather with people who are different from us. We've never met them before. They may not look like us. They may speak a different language. But when we meet and when we worship together. And when I can't even understand what they're saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's a bond. I belong to Christ and you belong to Christ. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. My friends, it is the church When living in spirit-controlled love and unity that displays to the world what the love of God looks like. Men and women from all different ethnicities and backgrounds and professions finding peace through the cross and truly loving one another. The spirit has already unified us in Christ. That is our position. That is true about us. So Paul tells the Ephesians chapter 4 to guard that unity. We don't create it. It's already there. But we guard that unity. There is nothing more important to each and every one of us than our position in Christ and our relation to one another In that vein. Moving along. Paul speaks about knowing the fullness of Christ. His love for the church. Is seen how he constantly taught the truth. And pushed believers towards knowing Christ. By pressing her at every direction to understand and to pursue the full assurance of knowing Christ. The understanding that comes with such marvelous revelation. Charles Spurgeon said that the queen of all sciences is theology. The study of God Or in our case, Christology, the study of Christ. There is nothing, nothing more important, nothing more monumental or glorious than knowing who God is. Than knowing who Christ is as he is presented to us in God's word. Now, Paul was not settled for Christians to have a superficial knowledge of Christ. He wants us to keep pressing in to a deeper knowledge of the wonderful mystery, namely Christ, God's son. Never stagnant, never getting comfortable, but always pushing forward. While this involves head knowledge, it does not stop 
there. It is not simply amassing facts about who God is or about who Christ is. It is a daily relationship in which we behold Christ and we walk with him. As Peter said, to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The truth is, as we work out our salvation, as we keep moving forward, as we put to practice everything that we've learned and know about Christ, as we flesh it out, that is how we grow in our own assurance of salvation. As we actively love the saints, as we guard the unity of the church, we grow in our own assurance of salvation because we are living out every day that which is true about us on the inside. Third, grounded in the truth. Paul told Timothy that the church, the church is the pillar of truth. The world will always produce philosophies that attempt to gain peace and brotherhood, but they do not deliver. God's truth is what we need to build our lives upon. Jesus said, you are truly my disciples If you continue in my word. John chapter 8. So why is all of this so important? Take your Bibles again if you would. And turn to Ephesians. Just a little bit to the left. Ephesians chapter 3. There's a section that speaks about God's church. And what he says is profound. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that, truth, so that through the church, the manifold or the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church is the pillar of truth. The church is where others can look in and see the multifaceted wisdom of God. That God would take sinners and declare them righteous. Declare them not guilty. Forgive them of all of their trespasses and sins. And not harm his own holiness and justice. Because Christ suffered for us. Satan and culture will always offer cheap substitutes for the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is Lord and there is none other. True hope 
and salvation are found only in him. Cults will constantly put forward fake Christs. Culture offers its best solutions to all of our problems. But Paul knew particularly in his day that there were many fakes and deceivers. Doctrines and philosophies that mimicked Christ, but are not the truth. He was determined to see the Colossians firmly established in their Christology and assured of him in whom they have believed. A Jesus who is not himself God cannot save. A Jesus who is not Lord is not Savior. He's a fake. These truths are intrinsically tied together in who Christ is. Our Savior is not a weak one, but in whom all things hold together. He is mighty to save. He is not like the pagan gods with no power. He is not impotent like human philosophies that while perhaps might look good and offer some relief, they lack the power and the truth to truly solve our problems and bring joy. My dear friends, Paul showed his love for the church. By striving to unify believers in the truth, in the bond of love, and developing deep-seated encouragement. He loved the church by pushing us to a deeper knowledge of Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a treasure we have. We know him. He loved the church by working to ground us in the truth of Christ and in the truth of the gospel so we will not fall for cheap imitations or the doctrines of demons. Now my question. Do we love the church? Do we employ our efforts To build unity and to encourage one another in the Lord. Do we expend our energy on lesser things or do we seek first the kingdom of God? Why is this question so vital? To love the church is to love what God Loves. It is where his affections are. The church is his beloved bride. He shed his own blood for the church to make us his own, to purchase us and deliver us from darkness. It is through the church, individual churches. And the big C church. That the Lord works in the world. Beloved let us learn from Paul. And love the church. Let us be fully devoted to one another's discipleship. 
and maturity in the Lord. Let us be Bereans, students of God's word, quickly able to discern truth from error. There's a lot of error out there today, by the way, just putting it out there. Let us show those around us what agape love looks like. Let us never tire of doing good, of serving one another, of praying for one another, and spurring one another on to love and to good deeds. Let us love what God loves. Let us love one another. Let us be faithful and not slack in fellowship and service together. Let us not sit on the sidelines while others carry the weight of ministry. Let us truly be people of prayer, knowing the needs of others and petitioning God on their behalf. Let us love the church and by so doing, live the gospel each and every day. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer? God loves the church. God purchased the church with his own blood. No one else could do it but Christ. My encouragement as you read along in the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, that you will see how special the church is. And yes, of course, there are individual churches, but there's also the church with a capital C, God's people all throughout the world who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Love the church. Love your church. Struggle. Be active. Encourage one another. Support one another. As we all walk with Christ and seek to be a light wherever God has put us. The entryway into the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for sinners. When we recognize our own sin. When we acknowledge that we cannot solve this problem. But put our faith And our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. Believing that he died and was buried on our behalf and rose again. If you have never turned to the Lord in repentance, today is the day of your salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this beautiful notion that people of all walks of life would be saved by your grace and together magnify your name. Lord, you are at work in and through your church. 
We are on display to the world. We are on display to the angels who long to look in and to fully grasp what this looks like because they don't have the song of redemption. Only we do. Lord, let us not be slack in our responsibilities one to another. But as we follow you wholeheartedly and obey you, that we would be involved in one another's lives, always pointing one another to Christ and supporting and helping one another. And Lord, let us not take for granted this wonderful, beautiful body that we call the church. And the saints gathered here at Durwood Bible Church. That we would never lose a sense of awe and wonder that you could save me, that you could save us. And that you have put us here in this time and in this place to honor you. We give you thanks in Jesus name. Amen.